Good morning, everyone. I invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. As we look at the topic of fellowship this morning, and just to um, say thank you so much for this opportunity to share with you from God's Word. Um, it's always a joy and a pleasure to come down, and yes, to, to visit my wife's family, and it's, it, we have a great time, but we always enjoy the, the fellowship and the time that we spend with the brothers and sisters in Christ here at Boulevard. So uh, thank you again always for your warm welcome. You guys really are an extended family to us as we come down and visit. Um, and, and another special thank you to so many of you that have been praying for our family. Um, many of you are aware of uh, the various surgeries and the things that August, our, our youngest, has gone through. And um, I was just thinking about that song that we sang earlier. And how often do we really consider the words that we sing? Forever God is faithful. Amen? Forever God is faithful. And I know it's been a tough year for everybody. It's been a strange year, a year and a half for everybody. But um, we, uh, we pray that through the trials, through the troubles, that we can all say that even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. So we just praise God for that. Looking in 1 John chapter 1, and we're just going to read, this will just be our starting passage, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's just commit our time to the Lord once again. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning where we can look into your word. We pray that you would prepare each of our hearts as we hear from your word. We pray that your spirit would speak to each and every one of us. Prepare us to receive your word, that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged, that we would be convicted. And we thank you so much that we can come before you because of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, and we rejoice in that fact. We just pray that as we spend time in your word, that you would prepare us to leave here different than how we came, that the word of God would would, um, have a transforming power in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. We thank you again for the salvation that is freely offered to us, being reminded of what it cost your son. We pray all these things in our risen Savior's precious and holy name. Amen. So fellowship. As we look at this passage, I'm... I provided a number of verses that we won't turn to, but I just I have them up on the screen that we'll look at when we talk about the topic of fellowship and what the Word of God has for us. And looking at fellowship, to um, really look at a few different things. What is fellowship? What does it mean to be in fellowship? And what has discipline got to do with it? Right. And um, we won't necessarily have as much time to deal with the discipline topic this morning. But really just to point out on that last part, as we get into the definition of fellowship and what it actually means to have fellowship or to be in fellowship, discipline reminds us, and we'll just start off just so we don't miss this point, discipline reminds us that sin is a very serious thing. Sin is a very serious thing. In fact, so serious that God gave us his son to die for us. And when we think about that great sacrifice that was made for our salvation, for our forgiveness of sins, may we be reminded to take sin as seriously as God does, right? And so discipline is part of the process, we could say, as it's laid out through the word of God in um, whether we say maintaining or restoring fellowship, because sin can affect our fellowship with God. And really just that reminder as we start off, sin is a very serious thing. And we can pray that the Lord would just speak to us through his word and through his spirit that we would be convicted of sin in our lives 
that uh, we would draw closer to God and closer to Christ as we're convicted of that sin. Um, we're reminded, uh, we didn't read the verse in 1 John 1, 9, but um, this letter written to believers, this reminder, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we praise God for that. But looking at those first two points for the majority of this morning, what is fellowship and what does it mean to be in fellowship? When we look at the word for fellowship, and I'm no language expert, but the word koinonia, I believe many of us have heard that word before, koinonia. And looking at different translations and different um, definitions of this word koinonia for fellowship, we have some of the definitions up here, some of the other translations of it. Um, This morning, as I believe is a good practice each and every Sunday morning, anytime we hear the word of God, I want this to be a self-reflective morning, right? I'm going to ask a lot of questions. And if we all could just think about those questions and think about what is the Lord trying to teach me through his word. And so even as we look at these words, what thoughts come to mind? What images come to mind when we think about fellowship being an association, a community, communion, and specifically these last three definitions, joint participation, mutual sharing, and joint contribution. Now, as we talk about those, specifically those three things, joint participation, mutual sharing, and joint contribution, we have this reminder that this joint participation is with those with whom we have something in common, right? When we talk about fellowship, specifically Christian fellowship, we cannot have Christian fellowship with those who do not know Christ, right? Christian fellowship occurs between believers, So uh, I was thinking of this passage in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 42. We have the word of God being preached to a large gathering of people. And as the word of God is preached, and I'll I'll just highlight some um, some of the portions of that passage. It says that many that were gathered were cut to the heart. And again, one of these self-reflective questions I want to ask. Have you been cut to the heart, right? Before we can even begin to talk about Christian fellowship, we need to ask these questions. Have you been cut to the heart by the word of God and by the spirit of God? Have you repented of your sin, right? Another word for just turning from that sin and turning to God. And have you trusted in him? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That's the first step. In order to have Christian fellowship, one must be a believer and a follower of Christ, And so we read, uh, I believe, verse 41. It says, those who gladly receive the word. And I ask you this morning, I don't know everyone here. I don't know your full story, your background. But I ask you, have you gladly received the word that the Lord Jesus Christ loved you and gave himself on the cross for you? It says, those who gladly received the word were baptized. And then we read verse 42, familiar to many of us. But before we get to that verse 42, we realize that this is true believers gathering together, continuing steadfastly in these things. Do you have the joy in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? I hope and pray that every single person here can say, yes, my sins are forgiven. And I believe in a risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for me. There's so much joy in that as those who said, uh, as we read, those who gladly receive the word. But then what came next after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? Right? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What happened next? Well, biblical example, Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly, and in this example, in four different things, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And we're specifically going to look at that topic of fellowship this morning. Um, a few of the verses that I put up there, I'm going to bold some words, underline some words, and that's my own emphasis, just some of the things that the Lord impressed upon my heart. But this idea of continuing steadfastly. And I thought of my good friend, Bob Ross, right? He always talked about happy little accidents, right? And this idea of continuing steadfastly, I think too many of us have this impression, and I know myself, I'm guilty of it at times, that we hope that These four things, the Apostles' Doctrine, fellowship, and breaking bread, and prayer, we pray that these things will happen by accident, right? Maybe we don't intentionally pray those things. But to remind ourselves, 
We cannot continue steadfastly in something by accident. Continuing steadfastly as the believers in Acts chapter 2. This was not an accidental thing. This was a conscious effort. This was a determined decision in order to continue steadfastly in something. So for each and every one of us, if we want to continue steadfastly in these things, again, this morning we're looking at fellowship, it needs to be a personal, determined decision to continue steadfastly in fellowship. When we talk about fellowship, we ask, well, fellowship with whom? I don't know about you, but for myself, oftentimes when I hear the word or people are talking about fellowship, I automatically think of, well, yes, my fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And indeed, that's a very important part of the Christian life, even as we read in verse 3. And I'm going to read that again for us. 1 John 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. There's that fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But it continues. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We realize that in addition to our fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, truly our fellowship is with God the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we read elsewhere in Philippians that uh, it talks about the fellowship of the Spirit, right? The person of the Holy Spirit. We have fellowship with God. Isn't that an incredible thought? I've extremely enjoyed, as I mentioned, when we come down and visit the fellowship that we can have with our brothers and sisters in Christ in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, and it truly is a privilege and a wonder to just come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. But how much greater that we, as created beings, who are in direct opposition to God, rebellious towards God, but redeemed by His grace, by the sacrifice of His Son, we can have fellowship with our Creator. I hope you're just overwhelmed by that thought. That is an incredible thought, that we can have fellowship with God. Now, the question would continue, as I put up there, can one truly be saved and have no fellowship with God and no fellowship with His saints? Can one truly be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and have no fellowship with God and no fellowship with their fellow believers. I would suggest that it's possible. Now, as we look at 1 John chapter 1, we read verse 6. Now, we understand that this letter was written to believers. Now, could there have been unbelievers within the mix? It's possible, right? And again, perhaps this was calling out those that professed to be followers of Christ, but truly weren't. But the challenge for each and every one of us, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, right? And so we understand that only the Lord knows the heart, right? If someone is a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is possible that at times in our lives even, that we are not experiencing that practical fellowship with God and that, that experiential fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Despite those times when our fellowship with God may not be what it should be, it won't necessarily change our, if I could say, position as a child of God, right? If someone is a true believer, they could be living in such a way, and verse 6 would have it, that hey, someone who is walking in darkness, right? Again, do we take sin seriously? Because if we say we have fellowship with him, but I continue to walk in darkness, I'm lying, and I'm not practicing the truth. And so... Someone's position as a child of God. We praise God that our salvation is not dependent on what we can do and the favor that we can earn with God. Well, I think of it this way. I have a good relationship with my father, but let's say we have what they call a falling out. Right? There's a disagreement and there's an argument and we had a good relationship, but now we've stopped talking, we don't get together, we are just, we're not getting along. There's just no interaction whatsoever. Now, I am still my father's biological son, and he is still my biological father. But there's a lack of that fellowship. There's a lack of that, what we'll see in a little bit, that relationship is broken. That relationship is not what it should be. And perhaps that's what we need to consider this morning, our relationship with God, Right? So grateful that we would be in a terrible state if our salvation depended on us. But it's us believing in the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But what about that fellowship, right? As I talk about the joy in knowing Jesus Christ as, as your Savior, there is joy in experiencing fellowship with God. I hope you've also had that joy of having that relationship with God. And then to say, well, can someone truly be saved and have no fellowship with his saints, right? And so if I say I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if I say I love him, if I say I love God, but I have no desire to be with the people of God, then I really should examine my heart, right? And this this thought I just have here, fellowship with the family of God is evidence of and a practical display of true fellowship with God. And that's what we read in 1 John 1, 3, right? Fellowship with the family of God, right? What we have here is evidence of and a practical display of true fellowship with God. And as we continue to consider this topic of fellowship, we've already looked at the basis. What is the basis of our fellowship? It is between believers, right? It is individuals who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been saved by the grace of God through the person of Jesus Christ. And also, our fellowship with God. As a result, we can have that relationship with God. What does a relationship entail? It entails time spent together. How do we do that with God? Well, my fellowship with God, a large part of it is, what time am I spending in the Word? What time am I spending in prayer? Right? Any good, healthy relationship, time needs to be spent together. And when we think about that basis of our salvation and our fellowship with God, some of the basics of fellowship, we look elsewhere in Scripture. And so we have listed here a number of other times that this idea, this word of koinonia has come up. When we talk about fellowship, it's a joint participation, a mutual sharing, a joint contribution. Well, what are we contributing to? What are we participating in? What are we sharing in? Well, some of these things that we see here in other portions of Scripture fellowship, as we talked about, with the Holy Trinity. But what does it look like further on? Fellowship of his sufferings in Philippians. Right? Are you sharing in the suffering of Christ? Right? We read, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. When was the last time you shared in the fellowship of his sufferings? Fellowship with the ministering saints. Right? Those that are serving God, and may we join with them and contribute and participate and mutually share in that service for God, right? whether it's giving of our time, our energy, our resources. And so we have here even in the next one, Galatians 2, fellowship in giving, right? giving whether it be of our, of our material possessions, our wealth, our time, whatever it might be. When was the last time we fellowshiped in that way? We shared or contributed in that way? What about fellowship in the gospel? Right? We know that not everyone has the gift of evangelism, right? but we're all called to do the work of an evangelist. When was the last time that we shared, we contributed, we participated in the fellowship of the gospel? And preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel and living out the gospel, all of these things as we share in our faith with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Fellowship with all of these things also means no fellowship with the following. No fellowship with demons. Right? I don't think any of us would say, I would stay far away from demons, right? But what about lawlessness? No fellowship with lawlessness. No fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, right? And again, this taking sin seriously. How often, and I confess, how often do I allow sin in my own life to just go unchecked, right? May we confess that sin before God as we're reminded that fellowship with God means no fellowship with any of these things at the bottom of our list. No fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. So to consider each of these things, when we think about this idea of fellowship, what are we sharing in? What are we jointly participating in? I have this question, when do we have fellowship? And I just threw a couple pictures up there of different types of gatherings, right? And some of these gatherings might seem like, if we could say, non-spiritual gatherings, right? You're going out to eat with friends or family. You're, you're celebrating a birthday party at a friend's house. You're, you're getting together to watch a sporting event. And the question of, when does fellowship take place? Well, we know that fellowship takes place between 10.30 and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And that's the only time, right? Because that is our fellowship time. Now, I don't know what you guys call it here, but I, I feel like growing up, it was always, oh yeah, well, that's our fellowship time, our break between meetings. That is the fellowship time. You can't have fellowship any other time. No, we know that we can, right? But 
can we have fellowship at these, what we would say, non-spiritual gatherings? I would suggest to you that, personally, I believe that true Christian fellowship can take place at some of these gatherings, right? Anytime that believers are gathered together, um, I'll share with you, I've been very pleasantly surprised at uh, a mutual sharing of my faith with another believer or this encouragement or prayer for one another at a birthday party while I went over a friend's house to, to watch a football game or a basketball game, right? And I've been so overjoyed and encouraged in the faith at some of these non-spiritual events, right? But we want to be careful in the sense of, is that the best approach at enjoying and, and fully experiencing the joy of true Christian fellowship, to live our lives in the hopes that Christian fellowship might accidentally happen. I say accidentally. We know God is sovereign. We know he is in control. But to consider this question, what is the purpose of our gatherings? What is the purpose of our gatherings? And, and so, you know, I, I mentioned a few of those, you know, hanging out with friends, a birthday party, out to eat. But hey, maybe it's serving in the church. Right? And you're serving God. And this is a picture of our vacation Bible school at Fifth Avenue Chapel. Maybe having a home Bible study. Right? It, it, it's such um, a, a great opportunity when the purpose of your gathering is to be encouraged in the Lord and to grow in the Lord. May that be our desire. That we wouldn't just say, well, I hope Christian fellowship happens. No, let's purposely get together for that. And, and in addition to you know, this morning time that we just experienced, uh, this time of fellowship... I've been encouraged uh, back at our home assembly, just like here, Sunday nights we've been doing small groups, right? And it's been a great time to look into the word of God, but then to share thoughts with one another, to, to share struggles, to pray for one another. What a great opportunity to fellowship. May we have those types of gatherings, even in our own homes, but the purpose of our gathering to be encouragement and growth and mutually sharing of our faith with our brothers and sisters in Christ. What is the purpose of our gathering? We've looked at what fellowship is. And I would encourage you, even if you just do a word study, when you look at that idea of fellowship, look at those verses that we, we talked about, right? Are you mutually sharing and jointly contributing, jointly participating in the fellowship of his suffering? The fellowship in the gospel, the fellowship with the ministering saints, right? All of these part of that culmination of the definition of fellowship. And when we look at this idea of fellowship, we move on to the next question. Now, maybe this is a northern thing, but perhaps you use this phrase. What does it mean to be in fellowship? Is that a term that's used down in this region of the country if someone is in fellowship? Yes? Okay. So um, different terms are used in, in, in different parts of the world, different gatherings of believers. But what does it mean to be in fellowship? It's not a trademark term. In fact, and maybe someone can correct me, I don't know if we necessarily find that phrase in Scripture. Now, we find the concept and the principle of being in fellowship, but that might be somewhat of a, a man-made term, right? But we understand the principles that's found in the Word of God. What does it mean to be in fellowship? I hope you're asking yourself these questions, and, and hopefully we can address it. Now, we're all adults here, and so um, those of you that have been involved in education in one way or another know that there are a variety of adult learning theories. But one thing sort of runs the same. There's a principle that runs through all adult learning theories, most adult learning theories, that says this. Adult learners, of which we all are, have no desire to learn something unless they understand why they need to learn it, right? So adult learners have no desire to learn something, not willing to learn something, unless they understand the need for it, right? So we could be talking about what does it mean to be in fellowship, and you would say, well, why do I even care? Why, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, should I care about being in fellowship? Right? Because if you don't care, you're not going to want to learn about it, right? So I ask that question. Why is it important to be in fellowship? And I will give you the number one reason of why it is important to be in fellowship. Because if you are going through a tough time, you're going through a hardship in life, you're, you're, you're going to have a surgery, you're, you're going to have a baby, you're going to go through whatever struggle, it means the chapel is going to provide a free meal for you, right? Is that why it's, it's important to be in fellowship? So when you're going through that tough time, hey, I don't have to cook, I'm good to go, right? No, uh, 
clearly that's, that's not the, the point of being in fellowship. Now, it might be one of the perks, right? And so here I, I put a picture. This was uh, this past Thanksgiving. So um, as I mentioned before, it's so appreciative of the prayers of the saints for our son August. Julie was up at the hospital um, over Thanksgiving. And this meal, along with many side dishes, more food than we can even eat in that week, was provided by one of the families at the chapel, among many other meals. And, and, and I can't tell you, well, I'm a terrible cook, right? I, I can't cook food for the life of me. But they provided for our needs, right? And in addition to that, it wasn't just the meals, right? This part of being in fellowship, and we'll talk about a little bit of being in a relationship with a local body of believers, the prayers, the phone calls, the text messages, the encouragement as we went through through this difficult time. I remember an opportunity that I had at work. I was at work, and I had a coworker that had kids about my age, and she said, Joe, I just don't know how you're dealing with everything that you're going through with your son. And I just remember just thinking that I said to her, how am I able to deal with it? I have an amazing God, and he has an incredible family. And it is just so true when we see the encouragement. And maybe you've experienced that at a difficult time in your life, that being part or being in a relationship with a local body of believers, you've been the recipient of that love, of that care and concern. Excuse me, concern. Um, And we're just so grateful for our local chapel family uh, up in New Jersey. But to really talk about why should we be in fellowship? Well, according to the word of God, and these three things kind of overlap. God desires it, right? We know that God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we read in Ephesians 2 that those that do come to repentance, they're reconciled to God. They're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and what? Members of the household of God. What a joy it is to be a member of the household of God. Jesus asked for it, right? And in John 17, we see Jesus' prayer to the Father. And he's asking or he's praying for unity, that they may be one, right? And he desires this unity, not just believers among themselves, but with God the Father and with the Son, right? And there's a desire for that closeness, that intimacy, that relationship. And Scripture commands it, right? We'll look at Ephesians 4.16 in a little bit. But Hebrews 10.25, many of us are familiar with with that verse, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, right? Now, that's about coming together, but we're going to look a little bit more about this idea of being in fellowship, about being in a relationship. And so when when we talk about being in fellowship, again, perhaps a man-made term, but following biblical principle, thinking about our relationship with God. Being in fellowship has everything to do with being in a relationship. And I'll just, you know, use this terminology. We don't normally say, I am a recipient of a relationship with someone, right? So I think of my wife. I don't say, I am a recipient of a relationship from my wife. That, that just sounds awkward, right? No, I am in a relationship with my wife. I'm in a relationship. What does that mean? It means there's responsibilities on both sides, Right? Both parties have responsibilities. So it would be important for us to know what our responsibilities are. So when you think about the local gathering of believers, the local church, leadership has a responsibility. Right, The elders at whatever assembly it might be, they have responsibilities to nurture, to serve, to protect, to shepherd, and yes, even discipline when it comes to matters of sin. Those that are leaders in various ministries, whether it be Sunday school teachers or, you know, those that are involved in the vacation Bible school, there are responsibilities. But there are also responsibilities for those who are the recipients of those ministries, right? What are those responsibilities? Well, let's look at that, and we'll look at a few of these verses. Um, This idea here, and as we talked about fellowship being joint participation, mutual sharing, and joint contribution, this reminder that your relationship with a local assembly should not be passive, right? The Christian life is not a spectator sport, right? There's responsibilities on both ends. What does a healthy relationship look like, right? Think about it in your own life. Think about personal relationships. What does a healthy relationship look like? And I don't want to bring up any type of trauma or, or, you know, any, any problems, but I want you to reflect back if you've ever been in an unhealthy relationship. I hope you haven't, but if you have, what does that look like? 
right? Oftentimes it might look like this. Let's say I'm the one that is in this relationship and I am pouring my heart out and I'm giving my all and, and just expressing so much love and giving my time, my energy, my resources, giving all of me into this relationship. But let's say that person that I'm showing so much love to is not responding and they're not showing love. And they're not giving the same type of time and energy and resources and pouring their heart out into the relationship. That is not a healthy relationship. That relationship will not last long or it will continue to go on as an unhealthy relationship. Right? And if we would not accept or we would not um, desire a relationship like that as far as a personal relationship, why would we think it acceptable to have a spiritual relationship like that? when it comes to our involvement in a local assembly? Why would we think that, okay, well, it's just one person pouring into the other? It's a two-way street, right? There are responsibilities from, let's say, those in leadership, those involved in different ministries. There are responsibilities for every single person, every single person. We don't accept that for our personal relationships. Why would we think it okay for our spiritual relationship with our local church? Just to consider these things. What does it, or how does a healthy body function, right? If there's a certain member of the body that is not functioning properly, there could be a lot of problems, right? And so we read and we see even in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that there are many members but one body. And if we look at scripture, we realize that every true believer has at least one spiritual gift. And maybe God has called you to use that particular gift in your particular assembly, your particular local church, but what if you're not using it? It's not going to be a healthy body functioning properly. It's going to be dysfunction. I have this verse here, Ephesians 4.16. And this verse just really struck me over the last few months. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Right. What is the whole purpose of this, of, of fellowship, of jointly participating and mutually sharing in the ministry or the local assembly? Well, the goal is growth of the body and edifying, right? This building up. And what is the motivation? The motivation is love, right? Do we love the saints? Do we love God? If we love God, it should be shown through our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. As we see this incredibly strong tie between fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ and fellowship with God. But I, I highlighted a few portions of this verse to really ask ourselves this question. Joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Are you supplying what God has called you to supply? Right? Every part doing its share. Are you doing your share? Right? Are, are you a member of the body of Christ that is not functioning, that is not promoting that healthy, functioning body, right? May we just be encouraged and challenged to consider how God is calling us to be used in the local assembly. I keep focusing on the local church. Uh, it's so important that we keep in mind that the universal church is the body of Christ, right? And the local church, we could say even more practically, his hands and feet in the world, Right. And so some of you might be involved in other Christian ministries. Right. There's a variety of really wonderful Christian ministries that are out there. And and this is not in any way to say, well, don't get involved with those. You really should be involved in one way or another. But all too often nowadays, we find that people get so caught up in in the Christian ministry that they're involved with and perhaps a very good Christian ministry that they're completely removed from their responsibilities in the local assembly. And this can be a real danger. I think of uh, one very prominent, um, at least they have a fairly large online presence, the Gospel Coalition. I really enjoyed a quote from them. A quote from them, And this is what they would consider a parachurch organization, right? A Christian ministry outside or separate from the local church. And I, and I really enjoyed this quote. They said, parachurch organizations must go above and beyond to make sure their ministries funnel people into the church and not away from it. Right? Sometimes we get so involved and caught up in something that's really good, but that Christian ministry, that parachurch organization could pull me out of the church and my involvement and my responsibilities in the local assembly. 
I share um, just something great that I've experienced. A number of friends uh, from high school, we've reconnected after not talking for so many years. And, and some new believers, some who grew up, went away from the Lord and came back. And, and um, we've been able to get together every other week, right? And we have this home Bible study. And, and I've really enjoyed it. And I believe we've had some great, tremendous Christian fellowship in this home Bible study. And, and one of my friends uh, said, guys, this is great. This, this is my church, Right? And, and I had to stop and think about that. Now, again, perhaps he had not settled in and found a local church that he was going to. And, and another friend responded and said, this is great, but, but I really do miss church. Right? This is many months back at the beginning of the pandemic, and, and he had not gone to his, his local church for a while. He said, I, I really miss my, my home church. Right? And so the, these, these Bible studies, these Christian ministries, these are all great and wonderful things. But it does not take away from our responsibility of being in fellowship at a local assembly. Thinking about just the, the times and the way things have changed over the years, um, it's very possible and very popular today to be a part of the universal church, but not part of a local church. Right? Many professing believers that would very openly say, ah, no, I don't go to church anywhere, but I love the Lord. And it's great to love the Lord and to serve him, but the importance of being involved in a local assembly. Why do I keep saying it's so important? Well, look at the content of the New Testament, right? We have the Gospels, we have Revelation, we have Acts, a, a, a little bit of a history of the early church, but a large portion of the New Testament are letters written uh, primarily by Paul, right? And so we see nine of Paul's 13 epistles are letters written directly to the local church, right? Written to a specific local church. And three of those 13 epistles are written to leaders in a local church, right? Why would God and the Spirit of God spend so much time giving instruction and guidance of how the local church should meet if it was not important, if it was not necessary, right? How much time is spent in the content of the New Testament on how the local church should meet, how important it is, to be part of a local fellowship. The local church is the best way of practically and actively being involved in the universal church. May we be involved. May we be in fellowship. And this idea of in fellowship, um, I, I know growing up, I, I almost felt like you couldn't talk about being a member, right? It was almost like, no, we are assemblies. We do not have membership. We are in fellowship, right? And really to ask the question, well, and not that anyone ever said that, but what is the difference, right, between being in fellowship and membership? Well, maybe not much. And what I might suggest is the difference would be what is required, right? And really we all need to consider ourselves, whether how we meet, how, again, other brothers and sisters in Christ and other denominations, we all need to consider are we meeting and considering someone being in fellowship or someone being a member of a local church according to the word of God? Or are we adding additional requirements, right? I was looking online, and this is, I think, rather uh, more so the, the exception rather than the rule. But I was looking at some local churches online, and some of them required additional reading, right? Outside of scripture, you need to read these two books in order to be a member. Um, not to say that there's anything wrong with those two books, but that was a requirement to be a member at one local church. Another was you have to attend this eight-week class. Now, not to say that that eight-week class was not beneficial, not profitable. could have been very profitable, but that was a requirement for membership. And some, even as far as giving. Now, we're encouraged in Scripture to give liberally and give with a cheerful heart. But some local churches where, well, we need to know your salary and you need to give X amount of percent of your salary in order to be this degree of a member. And there were certain levels, right? And so to understand that, not that it's bad to encourage people to give, but are we adding extra requirements to what it means and what is required to be in fellowship? Right? We have our little friend here. I has done paperwork. I can have fellowship. It's not about filling out the right forms and checking off the right boxes, but there are certain things that are required, but we find those requirements in Scripture. And we need to keep going back to the scripture and see, are we meeting in such a way? Are we participating and sharing in the local assembly in such a way that it lines up with scripture? I mentioned we want to do a little self-reflection this morning and just in our last little bit of time to ask ourselves these questions. Am I in a healthy, active, functional relationship with my local church? 
right? And the thing about that is your relationship with your local church, is it healthy? Is it active? Is it functional? Because if it's not, it might be unhealthy. It might be inactive. It might be dysfunctional, right? I thought about some of the verses that we've read and a few things that came to mind when I thought about a healthy, active, functional relationship. Is that relationship filled with love, with communication, service, and sacrifice? These are things that the Word of God teaches us that is part about part of being in a local assembly. And these questions, when I come to my local church, do I come to get or to give? Do I come to be fed or feed others? Do I come to be served or to serve? My suggestion to you is that it should be both. Right? Again, we talked about it. it's a relationship. It's a two-way street. There are responsibilities on both sides. And if we're not serving, may we ask ourselves and ask the Lord, in what ways can I serve? In what ways can I mutually share and contribute and jointly participate in the work of a local church? And even for us here this morning, and I don't know everyone, maybe I, I know some are visiting and some maybe have been coming here your whole life. Do I consider Boulevard Bible Chapel my home church? If you do, let's go back to that first question. Coming here to Boulevard, ask yourself, am I in a healthy, active, functional relationship with Boulevard Bible Chapel? Very important questions to ask ourselves. Now, I'll just share with you personally, as we ask this question, am I in fellowship? And my home fellowship, Fifth Avenue Chapel back in New Jersey. And I'm sure Florida has similar things. The state requires certain bylaws. And at the end of our bylaws, we have our statement of doctrines and practices. And I just pulled out a few things which I believe were built into our statement of doctrine and practices based off of what the Word of God says. So just to go through a few of those, right? You can't be in fellowship. We we started with this. If you're not a true believer, right? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that God has raised him from the dead, right? Right? True believers, you must be a true believer to be in fellowship. And my prayer is that every single person here this morning would know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But then we had this, uh, dare I say, vague term, fellowship regularly, right? And what's regular to you may not be regular to me, right? And so how do we define this? Well, I, I can't speak for Boulevard. I don't think anyone's doing this. But at Fifth Avenue, we don't have someone standing at the door and checking off an attendance list, right? We're not doing that, right? But should there not be a desire for us to gather with the Lord's people if we love the Lord, right? And it shouldn't be this matter of, well, you know, I'll come to, to church when it's convenient for me or when it doesn't ruin my schedule of whatever else I had to do that might be more important, Right? Is there a desire to gather together with the Lord's people? May we be encouraged to do so. Um, Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now, I will briefly touch on, because it's something that our assembly has dealt with. I know most local churches uh, throughout the world even, um, through this pandemic, there's been a, a very unique opportunity and challenge, right? And and, and that comes into the uh, the world of, virtual meetings, right? And so uh, our chapel services at Fifth Avenue, they've been a little bit of hybrid, right? For a while, we were meeting just virtually, and then we started coming together. This is, I guess, a year ago. It's been almost a year that we were meeting in person now, um, and uh, and we're still transitioning, right? We still have this, this hybrid meeting set up. And what I will say is this. In Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews, I'm 100% certain did not have virtual meetings in mind when he talked about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, right? And, and I pray that, that, and I know there are some listening virtually, I'm sure, um, but this is something that we have to consider myself as well. It's been a great opportunity, but it presents a challenge, right? Do I desire to be with the Lord's people? And I'll tell you, I've had such tremendously good fellowship, even over Zoom, Right, We would break up into our breakout rooms and just praying for one another and encouraging one another in the faith. But I, I just share with you personally, it's just not the same, at least for myself, as being in person with someone. Right? We read in Hebrews 10, the, the previous verse, where it says it's in order to stir up love and good works. Right, This is the purpose of our coming together. And we can do that virtually. We can do that online. But I, I believe it's such a, a, a greater potential to do that and live out the word of God as we come together physically. Now, I know some people can't come out for health reasons or whatever other reason it might be. But I, I know the one thing I challenge myself with is this. 
At times it has been great, these virtual meetings. Um, but I want to be careful not to take what was necessary at one point in time and simply now use it for convenience, right? Because I feel like we could be missing out so much more, right? And really just for each of us to examine our hearts. At Fifth Avenue, we still have some of our meetings that are all virtual. And we're, we're desiring and we're slowly transitioning back to everything in person. But is there a desire to come together? And I pray that that would be a desire. And those of you that are still meeting virtually, I, I again pray that you would receive this with grace, that, that you consider, am I desiring to be with the Lord's people? Do I love the Lord? If I do, there should be a desire. And to revisit that, obviously, in, in the Lord's timing, but may you bring that decision before the Lord. Um, fellowship can continue to a certain extent virtually, but is there an earnest desire for face-to-face fellowship regularly? Um, here's a question um, that maybe some of us are asking, and hopefully, if we're asking this, we would, we would rethink it. If I'm asking myself how infrequently I can attend my home church and still be considered in fellowship, I'm asking the wrong question, right? That's far from having a desire to meet with the Lord's people, right? We should always want to be there. And I would encourage you, just as I encouraged my home chapel through conversations, that if we want to fellowship regularly, we want to follow the biblical example in Acts 2.42, Right? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And I would suggest, if there is a desire to meet with the Lord's people, which there should be for a true believer, we, we gather when the assembly gathers. Right? And when do we do all those things? Well, at Boulevard, you have your Lord's Supper, right? the breaking of bread. You have your apostles' doctrine, right? your family Bible hour. You have your midweek prayer meeting, right? And then uh, even for the fellowship, like I said, these, these Sunday night small groups, I, I've tremendously enjoyed. And the great amount of fellowship that occurs there. And I would encourage you, if you're not doing that, if you're not attending regularly or faithfully, I encourage you to do so. The joy that you could experience in the fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, which is a direct display of our true fellowship with God the Father. We're running out of time here, so just to go through a few more. Supporting the statement of doctrine and practice, um, what does the Word of God teach us? And we understand between two believers, there will always be even slight variations as far as how we interpret the Word of God. But the reminder here is that we must support and believe the foundational truths regarding salvation and sanctified living. In other words, you're going to a local assembly. You want to make sure you line up with what is the Bible? Who is God? Who is Jesus? What is required for salvation? Right? These are the foundational truths as far as when we come together with a local assembly. Practice of the ordinances. Uh, most gatherings of local churches will uh, think of the Lord's Supper, right? our remembrance meeting, and baptism. Right? Do we line up with those things? And are we following the Lord in obedience with those things? Worship in every aspect of our lives. Ultimately, we do think of our remembrance meeting, which we had the tremendous privilege this morning to remember the Lord. But we're reminded that God would receive the glory in the church, right? I I hope he receives the glory in your own life personally, but also in the church. And this is how we can worship God and give him the glory. And through service. So as we wrap up here, I have this verse up on the screen here on this last slide. Um, This reminder We can have fellowship with one another, and truly our fellowship is with God the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. I really do pray that we would acknowledge and try to understand what a great privilege that is, what a great privilege it is. Are we taking advantage of that that privilege, of that opportunity that we have, the invitation that we have to have fellowship with God? A reminder of Ephesians, uh, that's Ephesians 4.16. I'll read it one more time. From whom the whole body joined in it together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Are you supplying what God has called you to supply? Are you doing your share? But these are questions we all need to ask ourselves. And then 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. <clears throat> when we talk about being in fellowship, being a relationship, Right? What's your relationship like with God, right? Are you spending time with him? Are you spending time and and cultivating that relationship, spending time in the word, spending time in prayer? If I say I love my wife, but I don't find the time to spend with her, I don't make the time to spend with her, 
Am I really showing love to her, right? If I say I love God, but I don't find time to spend with him, or I'm not making the time to spend with him, do I really love him, right? And so when we think about this relationship, this two-way street, responsibilities on both sides, when it comes to us showing our love to God through our involvement and our participation and sharing and contribution in a local assembly, to ask yourself, what are you contributing? 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I ask you, can your work for the Lord be described as always abounding? I'll confess, mine can't. Maybe sometimes abounding, maybe occasionally abounding, but can our work for the Lord be described as always abounding? This is a command, right? Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Maybe allow the word of God to teach us what God desires, and that is to have fellowship with him, to have fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to carry on in the Christian life, right? Not acting as if it was a spectator sport, but that we would be actively involved and engaged with the Lord's people as we serve him and worship him. Let's just close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for uh, the fact that you have um, provided us with salvation, not dependent on what we can do, but trusting in the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we are the recipients of that grace, of that free gift of salvation. But we also thank you that we've been invited into a relationship with the living God, with the creator of all the universe. And we pray that we would take that invitation seriously, that we would look at what we've been called to do and how we've been called to live, that we would supply what you've called us, supply, called us to supply, that we would do our share. We thank you so much for the fact that we can have the blessed privilege of serving you and living for you. We pray for each and every person here, if there be any that does not know your son, the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that you would just touch their hearts this morning. We pray that if there be anyone in this gathering really considering, what is my involvement in the local assembly? How am I contributing? How am I sharing? How am I participating? We pray that we would look into your word and that the Spirit would convict each and every one of us. We thank you again and we come before you humbly being reminded of the great salvation by which we've been saved. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray. Amen.